All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. Week one. Season's here. Uh, myself and Matt, we're back. We're together. It worked out, finally. <laughs> Things Generally, go crazy. Never, right? Hey, you did 90 minutes solo, solo last week. I was a chump and did an hour total for a preview and a recap. However, I didn't do two I games. honestly <laughs> did not realize it was that long until you posted it. <laughs> but but hopefully it gave the people what they needed ahead of week one. Oh, totally. And true. and now we're back to, to do what we do best, which is give the people what they need before week two. We do. Apologize for no week one recaps. Maybe we'll throw in a little things here and there as we uh, continue going on, like just to preview these games, kind of uh, get a few d- tidbits, like, you know, that Texas Tech game when Andrew Peasley got his body smashed but still got the game winning, game time score. That was an exciting game. Mm-hmm. But no news. We got 12 games. We're going to get to it. We're going to hustle here, do our typical time. But uh, I wish we could recap a few games. But we're starting right now. We got two over-the-air TV games. We got some FS1 games, CBS Sports Network games, uh, some streaming games, all the games. UNLV versus, UNLV versus Michigan, Matt's game one. Oh, hey, wait, hold on. We're at MWR.com. Do we say that? Do we mention the website? People can visit us if they want to. Couldn't hurt to mention it one more time in case we did. And then I saw you go to threads like, anybody over here? Yeah, sort of. Sure. <laughs> game one of the weekend. We're going time order as we always do. 1.30 Mountain Time. That's uh, 3.30 Eastern. Your new time zone, Matt, so you can watch some late afternoon football. UNLV That's right. at number two, Michigan. First off, did you see who's coaching this game for Michigan? Oh, oh, isn't this the one game? Because I know Jim Harbaugh has his four-game suspension. It's a split head coach. The <laughs> game was the one where they chose to have two different head coaches for the first half and the second half, right? That's correct. I'm like, so is that a way to do it? Like, what happens? Um, like, legitimate question. Because if you get two personal fouls or you're kicked out of the game, how does that work if you're that coach? Does that matter? Does that – because that, that's that the thing. A, that's an excellent question. I guess next person takes over, but they're doing show. Had up here was it Chris Hart, the former running back, or Mike Hart, excuse me, former running back, and who's the other guy? Shoot, I thought I had it in front of me. I just remember it and I kind of chuckled. Regardless, Michigan Street has some sort of a like preseason type game, essentially because they're playing. Yeah, I mean, before we get into like hard hitting analysis, oh, of course, or, we'll get why have you? If you're an UNLV fan, how insulted are you by that? I'd say quite a bit for two co- two coaches going against you instead of the one because the other games it's just one coach. Um, like, have you ever heard of that before? Two head coaches in one game? Never. It's a one of a kind. Never. I without looking, I would say it's never happened before, and it is disrespectful. It really is. Like, I mean, it's it's one thing to do what Michigan did against you know both Colorado State and Hawaii last year where everybody knew they were going to have the quarterback competition between JJ McCarthy mm-hmm. who won the competition is this QB one unquestioned now and, and Cade McNamara. So like, you know, that kind of thing is fine. You see it all the time. Mm-hmm. You, you don't see it with the suspension and it seems like, yeah, even if Michigan is what they're like a 30, 35 point favorite or something uh, like that. 36 and a half to be precise. Like it's not unethical, but it just, it, it brings a bad vibe, in my opinion. It does, but I, I get what I kind of know what Michigan is doing. All right, let's get a guys, some guys to be experienced as a head coach, and it's still weird. But it's also the stupid fake. Let's be in solidarity. That's giant eye formation. I'm like, shut up! Then say stupid. What are you doing? It's like you know, mm-hmm. get a, get over yourself. But this game, Michigan, they're pretty good. Obviously, though, no, they're really good. They're in the playoff last year. They potentially be in the playoff probably. 
the best team in the Big Ten. I think Penn State could be better. Ohio State struggled mightily versus Minnesota, uh, excuse me Indiana, what twenty three to three. And so we look at what they did last week. They beat East Carolina, who's not what they used to be. They're okay, but it's thirty to three. And we know JJ McCarthy, the quarterback, what they can do. They no, they're flawless in that game. No, no, no turnovers. I believe Roman Wilson will be a guy that I think uh, Rebels defense needs to take take uh, a notice of. Three touchdowns, and he's gonna be a guy you got to look at. But defense, psh, Michigan, fourth we saw last year, they could score when they beat up against East Carolina. Blake Corum did a pretty good job running the ball, but it was just a game where they overmatched your opponent. But I do think UNLV. Do you think UNLV is better than East Carolina, Matt? Probably. So yeah, you- I mean, because you know the, the Pirates graduated a lot mm-hmm. between last off season, and I think that has to and and the fact that there's such you know, Michigan flat out is just one of the most talented rosters anywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's altogether surprising that they dropped a 27 point win on ECU. I do think that the Rebels, based on what I expected of them coming into the year and what I saw of them in last week's victory over Bryant, I think that, you know, it's, yeah, it's going to be a long shot for the Rebels to win this game, but you like their chances of at least being pesky. Because, you know, what we saw from, you know, Doug Brumfeld last week making plays with both his arm and his legs, the defense. You know, passing what I would consider to be its first test, because it's not like Bryant is a is, is a no hope kind of FCS team. You know, that's that's a team, a Bulldogs roster with like several all conference guys on their roster, and it didn't really matter. You know, UNLV, you know, showed up, made big plays on both sides of the ball, and so I just don't think that you know. Like, I don't expect it to be close, but I would not be shocked if it was at least a little bit closer than what we saw last week against East Carolina. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, UNLV was maybe more explosive than I expected them to be. They averaged over six yards of play last week, nearly six and a half. And that was, you know, a group effort. But even if the, none of the numbers really jumped off the page, like they didn't have a hundred yard receiver, they didn't have a hundred yard rusher, but everybody was making plays. Yeah, that's Bryant, and that's what we want to see. And I think for Brett and Marion, like they went to so many different guys, almost seven yards in attempt and five touchdowns on the ground. Well, here's the thing, right? All of a sudden, they look a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And 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 granted, that's going to be a tall order against the Michigan defense in particular. <laughs> it's that, probably really fast. Yeah, you know, they've got they've got like lots of dudes up front. You know, Chris Jenkins um, and, and guys along those lines. Junior Colson, the linebacker, had two TFLs last week. So it's like it's a scary front seven to run against. Mm-hmm. But would it shock you if somebody like a, like a Jet Thomas or Jacob DeJesus was able to break one open, if not necessarily for a touchdown? Than to to flip the field, you know, whether it was a kickoff turn like DeJesus had last week against Bryant, or, you know, the fact that they had a, a number of big runs from Brumfield, from Vincent Davis. They do, but they I think need to there's, throw there's possibilities there, but I think that, you know, a, obviously a lot of things are going to have to go right for them to hang around and try and steal this one. Yeah, they'll need to throw better because Ricky White had two catches last week for five yards. Doug Brumfield had only 86 yards passing in an interception. I know they didn't need mm-hmm. it because we know what they're going to do. But with the offense Brennan Marion does, they like go back to Hawaii. Like with with um Calvin 
um, shoot, Tur- uh, Tyler Jr. Excuse me. I'll get him and Turner. Turner. It's Calvin Turner. Get Tyler and Turner mixed up because they had basically the same name. When you look at what they did there, they gave him short passes and do and hand the ball off, and he returned. So he is a versatile player. But they got to have somebody catch the ball. And yeah, Jacob, did, did you, Jesus there had 29 yard long, the 50 yards total. But there wasn't a lot going on. And it could be you're playing Bryant. So why show all these things when you're going to win? And the best thing about it is a dominant win. They did look faster. They did run the ball well, and there are different unique ways of getting everybody to get in, just getting the ball. Kick return, like you mentioned, punt return was really good by all those guys. So that could be a, a weapon, like you mentioned, where they get the field going. But they're going to throw the ball a little bit. But I, I do think the newness of the offense will be something Michigan. They'll be fast, but it could be like, oh, what was this play? Because we know what, what Marion, Brendan Marion can do from at Howard, at Hawaii at Texas last year, helping those guys be better, even when him when he was being the receivers coach last year. But Michigan also, it looks like uh, they have a couple like defensive back injuries in this game, so that could be a thing where maybe with a couple guys nicked up and maybe not even playing, where Doug Brumfield can and Ricky White specifically can make some plays downfield. And yeah, their backups are still probably really good, but there's they're inexperienced most likely for the most part. I know the how the exact details of all their depth chart and who's played a number of games at DB for number two's coming in. But that could be an area where maybe, like I said, they can make a play. They could do something when somebody's not as experienced playing playing against a offense that's just a unique, uh, not the norm in college football. Honestly, though, I think it's more important. Like, if, if I were going to pose the question to you before I answer it myself, mm-hmm. if UNLV is going to have any kind of priority upset in this game, which side of the ball do you think has to bring its A-plus game? It's hard to say, just because the reason I say that because look what they did last year, how many points they scored, and when they played ECU, they only they only got thirty points. It's like what I kind of mentioned Ohio State earlier, they only scored twenty three, I believe, versus Indiana. So mm. their their offense was fine; it was just efficient, didn't turn ball over. I would say for them to be better, um, I would say because hmm, the offense is going to struggle to score points because this defense is really good, and so. For them to break through, I think they're going to have to. Hmm, I don't know. I like special teams. Is that a cop out? That's that's Jim Harbaugh talks about the defense. Is that what we're it. It's a phase about? of the game. All it is. It. I, there's just not as many plays to make it uh, to be. I know there's not as number of opportunities. Like what if you do special teams, kicking field goals? Well, we know what it includes, but that might be what. 10 plays max a game on special teams, specifically when you're getting the ball, not even 10, whether you're receiving the ball or you're trying to score points. I think that's a, a big area. But I think overall, they got to score points. I think that's the main thing. And this defense is really good because, yeah, I, I think they got to score some points. And that it also entails the defense having to make some plays and slow down McCarthy or Blake Corum or Roman Wilson or whoever, Colson Loveland, some guys who played pretty well last week. I think it'll be – they'll need to – it's simple. Score points, you got to win. I think they'll have to score points to break through from the Michigan defense. And I think it'll be like special teams for those big returns or get good at field position and bump filling those guys. I think it's going to be more of the offense to do something because who cares how good you're, like how good the other side of the ball is or not good? They got to score points to win. Like if their defense plays really well, like Michigan, the offense still has to break through at some point. Yeah, see, I don't know if I agree. That's fine. Because, you know, you look at what Michigan was able to do against East Carolina, averaging six and a half yards per play, and, and like, hardly breaking a sweat to do it. UNLV has to offer more resistance 
it's than, tough. than East Carolina did last last week. It's just hard to decide, but it's good. We could both pick either way because they're both not in wrong. In particular, I was just going to say, in particular, I think the secondary has to have just like, they have to be like lights out good. Mm-hmm. You know, Jerry Williams started at linebacker last week, but, you know, he was one of those guys that was all over the field. He had a pass breakup, had a, you know, half a sack. I think he had like two quarterback hurries. He was like one of those guys that was all over the field making plays for the Rebels. And then you get contrast that with a guy like Tim Anderson or Thomas Anderson, excuse me, mm-hmm. making his first career start last week. He had an interception in that game. The Rebels flashed propensity for doing that last year. So it's an encouraging sign to me that they were able to frustrate a, a pretty strong Bryant passing game. You know, Zevi Eckhouse only had one touchdown, you know, only 230 yards on 29 attempts. Like that's a pretty major win. Mm hmm. And, you know, while I'm not, I'm not, I don't think they're going to be able to shut JJ McCarthy and company down for, for 60 minutes. No. That's probably just too much to ask. You mentioned Roman Wilson. That's to say nothing of like Cornelius Johnson yeah. or Colston Loveland, or, you know, and if they have to dump it off, they have both, both Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards catching passes out of the backfield. Yeah. They were seven of seven on, on seven targets last week, by the way. But yeah, but the UNLV just cannot allow Michigan to continually roll down the field in the same way that they did last week, because you know for as, as modest as the final score looked when all was said and done, you know you look at the drive chart. The Wolverines went three and out, and then went touchdown, 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 mm-hmm. field goal, touchdown, on their next five drives. Yeah. Defense, baby. Defense wins the games. You're you're right. I just think it's you could pick a side. I think one side has to be really good, but. I don't know. I just went with offense because I'm the offensive guy apparently all the time. <laughs> but they got to break through. But then again, if it's sixty to thirty, who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you defense. Obviously, I'm not saying defense isn't important. But I just think if they're if you got it, if you're gonna win, you got to score some points. So what do you think? Like, what's the outcome in this game? It's again thirty six and a half. Over under is only fifty eight, which is saying they're saying UNLV is gonna score like eight points <laughs> if it's fifty eight on the over under. Well, uh, we don't have all the advanced stats, but perhaps unsurprisingly, it doesn't look good for the Rebels. Uh, <laughs> SP Plus likes Michigan by 40.2. That's a 99% win probability. Uh, FEI likes Michigan by 38.8. Uh, and we don't have uh, Parker Fleming at Stats of War. He hasn't dropped his advanced stats preview just yet. But when he does, you can probably find that on Twitter by the time mm-hmm. this uh, comes out. FPI 98.5%. So there's that too. Yeah, that that sounds about right. Like they're not going to win, you know, be, but I think with the uniqueness of the offense, I think they could I think 36 and a half is a lot of points. Like there's no reason, here's a couple reasons why I think they could cover this game. Different head coach, the two head coaches, it's weird what's your message in the game. They'll be up, it's like what what is unless there's well, I could put it two ways. Well, the head coach, oh, I'm going to second half, we're going to just roll. I'm going to score points, show what I can do, I want to dominate. How are they going to sub? How is it going to be for putting players in or out the rotation? First half coach. It's just a lot of weirdness going on. So that's part of it. I think there's no point for them to win 40 to 10. Like even 40 to 10, they cover. Like 36 and a half points is a lot. I think UNLV can get at least two touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, I think think Vegas tends to know what it's talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. But I do think that UNLV is going to make it very, very close in terms of like their ability to cover. I expect that they will 48 to 14 Michigan wins. I'm thinking something like that. I'm going like 40 17. I think it'll be under and they'll probably cover just because mm-hmm. 
you know these offense. Yes, it's weird that number seems odd just because they put up forty four, but but uh, FCS team. But I think it'll be. I think they'll get to seventeen. I think I think it could be literally like twenty to ten at halftime, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, this is kind of frisky, but we all kind of know how it's going to end up. So next game, Cal Poly at San Jose State. No line. Two p.m. Oh, I guess I'll go one p.m. local West Coast time there. Spartans are uh, not throwing two. Not great, but they also played USC at Oregon State. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 what, are they the only team in the country to have played two top 20 games so far? Rank them, folks. They played two great opponents. Like, Florida State should <laughs> be number one. They have the best win in the country. Why aren't they number one at the moment? Just saying. If you want to go that strategy for voting teams. They played the toughest schedule so far. Put them, like, 12 or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. They looked okay. Like the USC game looked pretty good, actually. Like there was some good stuff for Sam and Cordero. We know what they're gonna do. They're gonna win this game. Cal Poly. This will be a good time. Like, okay, let's reset. We played two very difficult teams. We're playing, yes, Cal Poly is I think they're pretty good. FCS. They're one to know at the moment. They beat San Diego twenty seven to ten. They do have a good quarterback because Sam Heward, who was uh, was he a four star QB at Washington, brought Heward's kid. I believe he was a five star QB. Five star, something like that. And like Paul, wait, Paul Paul Wolf is their head coach? Am I reading that properly? That's right. Is that the former Washington? He took over for uh, Bo Baldwin. Is he the former Washington State head coach? That is the, same, the one in the same. So pass defense will be a concern, or at least something to watch out for, because throwing for 364 yards, despite only one, only scoring 27 points. That's a quarterback's a big deal. I think he went there because his high school coach, I think, is on staff. Is that correct? Trying to that would not surprise me. I'm trying to remember why. That's why, like... That always happens everywhere. Transfers and stuff, or, we, or it just happens. But you got a good quarterback. So he has the highest-rated quarterback prospect in the 2021 class. And I reunite with his high school coach. So that's that's what it is there. And he, so you know he has talent there, so that's going to be not an easy thing to go up against when you have a guy who's whatever you want to say about recruiting numbers and cla- and just that type of stuff. When when you have um, Michael Penix come to town for two years, like, well, what am I going to play? And so why not come in and play right away? If he's good enough to go to the next level or do something, why not? And they had a good passing game. Running game is okay. Last week, they had a lot of deep passing, but I could tell when they played San Diego, like what, four passes yeah. over 20-something yards, 87-yarder, 37-yarder. Tyree fairly diem I believe that's correct. Huge day, 129 yards. So they have some deep threats on this team, so I think that's going to be the biggest challenge towards San Jose State. Like, how much potential do we think for them to have another Portland State situation? <sighs> you have to bring that up from last year where they had to win. Was it fourth down and a two-point conversion, something like that to win? I would hope not. Well, I would... it's it's because this team has not always been the, the most reliable team from week to week. Yeah. It's also like you mentioned on Twitter, you lose two defensive player of the years. It shows. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I do – tend to agree with you i think that the one thing that you can say for cal poly's performance last week against san diego mm-hmm. which the spartans could probably are probably counting upon is yeah he had 368 yards but he also had a completion rate that was not much better than 50 percent. correct that's why it's like they only scored 27 points so his efficiency was 23 there. 23 or 41 overall yeah and you know a lot of of their production on the ground you know between their top two running backs troy fletcher and mark biggins mm-hmm. Yeah, on paper they averaged six and a half and five yards per carry, but they had 101 combined yards, and and their longest two runs between them, roughly half those yards, 48. Mm-hmm. So it was a very boom or bust performance. You know, in, from from familiar names you mentioned, Heward, uh, former Nevada tight end Carlton Brown, that's right, also had a big game last week. 
So I do think that there is the potential for Cal Poly to hang around, especially if, you know, the secondary, which has looked shaky against some of the best offenses in, in the country, can't uh, get things under control. But I do think if, if I'm looking for one potential difference, you have to think that in terms of what, what Cal Poly is able to offer in terms of pass protection, they should be able to do a little better than San Diego, right? Yeah, like yeah. even last week, San Diego had like, uh, they only had one sack, but they did manage, I think, six, seven or eight TFLs by my count. Did you did know- force at least uh, one turnover, forced a couple of fumbles. So it wasn't like, you know, the, the Mustangs played an A-plus kind of performance. Well, they played a bad team. San Diego is non-scholarship FCS football. Yeah. So, so I'm, I think yeah. if I'm looking for anything... I'm looking for more out of the guys who've, who've shown glimpses mm-hmm. in this early going. Like Trey Smith had a nice game against USC a couple weeks ago. You know, Noah Lavulo, what's he going to be able to do? Brian Parham looks like he's on the come up now that he's and now the Dakota replacing Kyle Harmon in the middle of that defense. Mm-hmm. Same with Jordan Pollard. You know, the last two weeks are as difficult as it's going to get for the Spartans this year. So don't make it look as difficult as it has looked over the last couple of weeks. So this is interesting here. They're going to win. We'll, we'll give a score in a second, but their FPI is a lesser percent. There's a better chance of Cal Poly beating San Jose state than UNLV beating Michigan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 88%. So that's kind of a unique stat there. Anything else to add? I think they'll win by three touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, SP plus, their projection is maybe a little bit narrower than you would expect. You know, Bill Connolly only projects the Spartans to win by 15.3. That's only an 81% win probability. I think it's kind of interesting. Thanks. Also, I don't know that it's necessarily going to mean much. Like Cal Poly, yeah, they showed out against, you know, inferior competition. Now they're going up against superior competition. So San Jose State should be able to take care of business pretty handily. And she'll probably, probably land a couple of blows. Yeah. What, what's, what did you say your final score was? No, I, I, well, I was going to say it's on the Mountain West Network to watch the game, so make sure you go there. If you can, and we, NBC Sports Bay Area if you're local. That's true, yeah. There's a lot of more local games this year. Like Utah State has four games locally, which is interesting, and not just non-conference games. Um, I'm going to go 38-13. I'm going to say 42-17. All right. Next game, you mentioned Portland State, Matt. They're traveling to Laramie, Wyoming. Uh, 2 p.m. local time in Laramie. It's on the same Mountain West Network. First and own in Portland State, going up against a Wyoming who was 1-0 off a, one of their biggest wins. At, I don't know if their biggest one ever, but one of their biggest wins in a long time, I would say. memory, at least, yeah. Because I know they played, like, they've hosted teams in town like Ole Miss. They have BYU, Utah, Texas. Especially with all the hype around Texas Tech. Like, they're like, oh, Texas Tech, they're top four in the Big 12, possibly. They could be a sleeper team to win it, but... Not the case. Now, in that game, I was frightened because they're down 17 0. I'm like, God, same old Wyoming. Andrew Peasley gets hurt, leaves the game. I'm like, God, not again. But they're playing Portland State, who just, um, what's a stronger word than embarrassed? Losing 81 to 7 out of Oregon. Well, it, it was about as rough as, I mean, it was, what was it, 50 to 7 by halftime? Uh, let me pull it up here. Uh, 50, yeah, yeah. I'm, pull, I'm looking at the stat sheet right now. Oregon had 729 yards of total offense and averaged 10 yards per play. Goodness. Yeah, so that receiving group is crazy. So what, what I want to see in this game for Wyoming is 
be healthy because that game was a tough game. They played versus Texas Tech. They had the they had the lightning delay, went to double overtime, a lot more snaps. I, I, I was. Sub- Craig Bowl mentioned that everybody who played last week is going to be available for this game. That's good because my concern, like I didn't pick, I wasn't picking Texas Tech. Or, I mean, excuse me, picking Wyoming to win because the running back situation was so uncertain with all the injuries. Like all these guys who are recovering, tra- transfers are not quite healthy. Guys, there's a lot of hesitancy for me because of running back situation, which is always good with an unknown. So that's why I was like, I'm not taking him one, like maybe cover. And then I watch it like, whoa, I saw it was delayed. I'm like, okay, I'll catch it later. But them winning that game gives shows a lot of, um, See, it's lame to say, oh, they were a gritty team. Like, no, they came down 17-0 to beat a team that normally slings the ball and throws, wants to score a lot of points. They held them to not much after that first quarter. They didn't score for the rest of the game, right? Wasn't it 20-17 at the end of the game, I believe? Hold on. I'm trying to remember exactly. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't score until the fourth quarter of Texas Tech. That defense showed up. The offense had those second and third quarter movements of uh, scoring 17 points in the field goal in the fourth quarter. Like Peasley didn't look great. Running game looked okay. This is all a defensive showing for last week, despite giving up 33 points and overtime points. Don't really count, really, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like do, but they don't, because you start the ball so close. But defense is showing. But what I want to see is like who's going to run the ball. Like Andrew Peasley led them with 68 yards last week. Sam Scott, DQ James, Jamari Farrell. Those guys need to have a bigger game, and they should. Everybody should have a good, better game. Let Andrew Peasley play three quarters of a game, and then put in the backup. I just let them get some reps and do those type of things, and just get experience out there in a game. And that's why I think they should they should be like not a breather game, but this should be a game where they just kind of take care of business. Defense will show up good, and you watch that film. I don't know how much to take away from the film Oregon crushing them, but that's what I want to see. I want to see the running game get going and just more efficient passing because they're. Did oh let me check the Peasley pass fifty get above fifty percent because that's all the thing we talk about get above fifty something percent Peasley and see what they could do where he was eighteen thirty four that's just barely over fifty percent yeah, just barely above fifty percent yeah get to fifty five but that's what I want to see the obviously a running game where the running back actually leads the way and maybe pass a little more efficiently and just beat this team like literally like score forty points well I mean can you do that in this game win like forty to thirteen. So is is now a good time to mention that Wyoming won that game with a seventeen point six percent win expectancy? I was actually looking that on here on the side. At what point was that the the post game win expectancy from Bill C? Yeah. Okay, I was looking at the uh, win probability on ESPN at the moment. I just had it up here. Yeah. So so for those of you who don't who aren't aware what win expectancy is, like I don't have the exact definition in front of me. I apologize. But the whole idea is that it takes a, it's like a snapshot of a game that happened, taking you know all the context out besides just the raw numbers like you know the number you know mm-hmm. converting third downs things along those lines the rate of explosive plays and things like that yeah. So all that being said, you know, given that Wyoming lost the turnover battle, mm-hmm. given that they were you know only okay on third downs. You know, got outgained on a per play basis by almost a yard and a half. What I want to see in this game is not necessarily just one overall improvement on the offense. I want to see overall improvement all the way around. Because what I don't want to see is them sleepwalking through a game against an FCS opponent that they should stomp. Yeah. In the same way that they did last year against Northern Colorado. 
where, yeah, they won that game by three touchdowns, but they did not look impressive doing it. And I think that's going to, you know, that's going to take everybody, in my opinion, not just Peasley, you know, even if he's less than 100%, I do expect a little bit more from him. Um, and as you mentioned, more out of the running game, although I think I do think you can be encouraged by the fact that they did rip off at least a handful of big runs last week mm-hmm. uh, against Texas Texas defense, which not an easy thing to do considering some of the hosses that, that the Red Raiders had in the middle of that defensive line. Oh, geez. Again, so, Peter yeah, got smacked that, at the end of the game. Ooh. Yeah, so, this, so this, the fact that Scott had a 16-yard carry, at least one of them, DQ James had a 15-yard carry himself, that to me is encouraging. I want to see more of that mm-hmm. against the PSU defense that didn't seem to be able to stop anybody on over its offense last week. Only two TFLs for the entire game. Well, that's hard when like, just, they don't just run the ball. Go out there. You know what I mean? They don't run the ball. Go out there. Everybody knows what your game plan is going to be. Go out there and drop 40 on them with your game plan. Yeah. That's what I want to see. All right. Next game UCF at Boise. Wait, wait, wait. Do, we, do we want uh, oh. to give them a uh, per- <laughs> score prediction at least? Oh, I thought you did. You said 40 to. Oh, do I need one? Uh, 40 to 10. <laughs> you said 40 well, to 13, the... didn't you? 40 to 17. What was your prediction? Did I said. I? You just said it, yeah, that, moments that ago sound, you did. That sounds nice. I'll, you know, I'll go with 40 to 13. <laughs> moments I'll ago. I'll also add that uh, SP Plus likes Wyoming by 22.4, okay. 90% win probability. All right. Now let's move on. Yes. UCF at Boise State. Are you concerned about Boise State after they got their butt kicked by um, poss- a team that could possibly win the national title this year? Mm. A little bit, a little bit. I'll say that. And is it too early? I think I I can preface this for anything. Is this too early for everything? Like the tail and green hype to be the best you have quarterback to take the next step to be like the legit best quarterback. It doesn't help in this game. In the last game, like George Lonnie like got banged up a little bit. He played, but like it was just a game where it was close in the first quarter ish. It was that second quarter where they just second and fourth quarter. They just got, they had no clue what's going on. Like they got shut out 49 to zero in the second and fourth quarter. The remember they have a new OC for Boise State because Dirk Carter's not there from last year. They end up <clears> – <throat> – there's not much you can take away because, okay, Taylor Green had a couple picks, not great. They didn't run the ball all that well. Um, receiving was led by Ashton Genty. They didn't have the right players making the right plays. Like, your leading receiver shouldn't be your running back and because one was that 50-yarder. Um, I'm mildly concerned. I'm kind of concerned about defense, but when you lose guys like J.L. Skinner – but from the secondary, but you think guys like DJ Schramm, who had a reasonable good game, they did have six TFLs. But my concern is that the defense we thought would be really good is just got shredded to pieces. That doesn't necessarily surprise me. Did we also mention that this game is on at five o'clock Mountain, four o'clock Pacific on FS1? There you go. It's out there, and it's a three and a half road favorite for the uh, for the Knights, who shellacked Kent State last week, like fifty six to three. I want to say fifty six to six. Yeah, and, and it, on the surface, that might seem concerning until you remember that Kent State. We'll, we'll talk about them in a week or two when they when they travel to Fresno. Might be the worst team in the country this year, just in terms of how they got absolutely gutted by the transfer portal last year. So UCF basically outgaining them three to one does not necessarily shock me. Well, didn't Sean Lewis leave there to go to Colorado? Yes, he did. And so there's that two head coach goes to be an well, offensive that, coordinator. And, and their their quarterback left. And I think that like pretty much everybody from that team left. Yeah. So 
with Central Florida. So, like, it, it's not necessarily, like, concerning that, you know, UCF looked like world beaters last week. But I do think that the one thing I want to see is, uh, you know, I do want to see improvement from that secondary in particular. Yeah. You have to. If it's not good against this, against um, what they're doing with UCF, sorry, I keep calling it Central Florida. I don't know what's what I should say or not. They'll get mad, but whatever. They're playing the Knights. When like John Reese Pumley, really good quarterback. He did amazing things, and he's played well the couple places he's been at. But that secondary number one thing they have to stop. If he because yeah, and because you, what UCF showed in that opener was you know a very strong connection between. Plumley and and his receivers in the passing game like everybody knows about Javon Baker only four catches last week but he had a nice game 59 yards I think what's mm-hmm. more concerning if I'm a Broncos fan is you now all of a sudden it looks like they have three running backs wide receivers at oh. least that they could reasonably count upon Xavier Townsend yeah you know sophomore who, who led the team in receptions and yards and scored a touchdown last week um you know between that duo plus uh his name escapes me Kobe Hudson Excuse me. Yeah, he had four for 44. Yeah, four for 44. Like, if if I'm a Broncos fan, am I, if I'm at least a little bit concerned that we don't match up well with that kind of trio, because that's a lot of pressure that you're putting on guys who've, who've looked good previously in part-time duty. And and granted, you know, UCF probably isn't quite as athletic as a Jalen McMillan or a Roma Dunze. But I think if, if I'm looking for some place where this game could be decided, it's in their ability to sort of buckle down and to be able to just make more plays in the secondary. I think one thing that's sort of it was maybe a mild disappointment was the fact that they only had two pass breakups last week against Michael Penix Jr. Yeah. And maybe that says just as much about Penix Jr. as it does the secondary. One thing too, but I just I I just wonder whether you know Boise State is going to have that capability to you know be more competitive. Two things on those throws down the field. John Reese Pumley had two picks in the game versus Kent State, so that's mm-hmm. maybe they can make some plays on there. However, I'm just reading over Bronco Nation news. I'm like this headline's weird. I'm like, what's going on here? Boise State still not sure why it was slipping so much against Washington. I'm like, what does that mean? Slipping not playing well. They're complaining about the turf and the cleats of slipping over the place. I'm like, what? What are you? What's going on? You got your butt kicked by 40 points, and he t- Coach Alvalos is like, we've won, the, we've worn these cleats before through fall camp and all prep. It's not the first time you guys have put those cleats on. We're working to make sure we're not in that situation again. I'm like, because it affected some things. I'm like, that's not why you lost the game. <laughs> like talking about kickoff coverage, guys falling, or that um, potential Riley Smith um, stumbled on like a. We set up for a field goal, I believe, in the second quarter. I think it was our first quarter. Like, I that's just dumb excuses, right? Like that didn't mean you lost the game because the turf was different, or the cleats were weird. I just saw the article I'm reading through. I'm like, what? What is going on? They did mention like that's not the reason for our production OC with Bush Hamden, but I'm like, why is it even brought up when you just lost by forty something points? That should never be brought up. Outside of oh well. Yeah, it just one play here or something. But I thought that was a weird, interesting thing to bring up when you got your butt kicked by 40 points. Talk about slipping on the turf as a potential reason you struggled here and there. So, I don't know. I thought that was weird. <laughs> right? Like, that's an odd thing to talk about when you get when you lost by 40 points. So then on offense, then, what do you think is the most important thing that has to be able to, to turn around for Boise State to get back on track? Is, is it tailing green or is it getting – 
George Trelawney healthy, or what do you think it's, it is? It's always George Trelawney because how many times have I said years ago when George Trelawney's good and healthy and the offensive line is stable, they're really, really good, and he got banged up early on, and that's a problem. They have they have two good running backs, which is clearly good, Ashton Gentry and Halani. I think with it, because Taylor Green's, yes, he played, what, eight starts last year, played in 12 games. He's still reasonably new, and you get thrown out against Washington, who, again, last year, if not for a fluke tiebreaker, would have been in the Pac-12 title game, could have gone to the Rose Bowl last year, winning 10 regular season games. They were that close after Washington, I think it was a Washington State or Oregon State, or forget what it was. For Utah to get there, it took a lot of things for them to get the rematch versus USC. They could have been in the Rose Bowl. They could have gone up against Penn State. They could have been a top-five team if they went to the Rose Bowl last year and won. So this team, the team they lost to, was really, really good. And Taylor Green is still inexperienced. He got two interceptions. He got sacked. He only won TD. I think it's get the running game going. Lonnie only they only had they did average almost five yards a carry, which is good. But they got to get the running back running game going to help Taylor Green get settled in and the receiving receiving game as well. But if you get the running game going, it's all simple football. If the running game goes fine, you can get the passing game going. The only the only Three wide receivers caught a pass in the Washington game. Halani and Genty caught six. You can't have three wide receivers. Zero to tight ends because the Riley's uh, incomplete pass already slipped. I'm using air quotes very hard. He fell, but you know what I mean. They got to get the passing going. That starts with the running game opening things up and not having guy your two main running backs average four yards a carry combined. And only long of nine and 11, and your longest run was Taylor Green for 13. So run the ball better. And that'll open things up more to the passing game. There, there's not one thing. The offense, the offense was just terrible. They only scored 13 points, right? They got, they, they got, they just were not competitive and were bad against the elite defense. There's a lot more than just one or two things I can mention, but their strength is those two running backs. And they didn't show I up last week. It is pretty clear to me that the coaching staff has a lot of faith in Taylor Green. They should. And. You know, it, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that he has still been the starting quarterback for less than a full season. That's my point, yeah. But that being said, I think he was also let down a little bit here and there last week against Washington, too. And so I do think that there are reasons to expect that he could be a little bit better overall. Like, for example, there were four drops last week where, you know, all of last year, at least according to uh, Pro Football Focus. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he didn't actually deal with that many drops during his entire run as a, as a starting quarterback. He, you know, they counted eight altogether in, in 293 dropbacks that he had last year. Last week, he had four and 44. Remember, Matt, so they slipped. Don't if, forget if that. If Boise State's <laughs> wide receivers can do a better job of just hanging on to the football, first of all, mm-hmm. you know, that is, is going to be massive for them. And then the other thing, which is I don't think is necessarily a small thing, is the fact that he had less time to throw overall than he was accustomed to last year. You know, in in the in his what was it? Uh, how many games did he play last year? Like ten games, twelve uh, games? I think he played twelve and started at least eight. So last year, in terms of like, you know, time to throw, two point nine six seconds on average. Hmm. Last week against Washington it was two point six one. Which may not sound like a lot. Hmm. But you know, <laughs> Which is a long way of saying that UCF may not have like a Braylon Trice type of guy, but they do still have players on their defensive front who could step up and do damage. Guys like Lee Hunter, Josh Kellis, uh, Ricky Barber, Trevon, basically everybody in that front four 
could step up and make a big play. And so if Boise State wants to continue on the path of putting a lot on Green's shoulders, you know, more, he's going to need better protection. He's going to need more from his receivers. I forget who Clearly. was it mentioned it during the game. Um, but, you know, somebody pointed out that like a guy like Billy Bowens, a veteran receiver, was you? having trouble creating separation last week against Washington's defensive well, backs. they're really good. <laughs> so, like, those are the little things that that have to be able to turn around for Boise to be able to hold serve at home. Because I think, I think whether we like it or not, things are going to continue to flow through the quarterback. But he can't do it all by himself. He needs help from everybody else up front. He needs help from his pass catchers, especially without the trail cables. Like, it looked like they missed him last week. They did. I don't know what to expect. I'm surprised it's only three and a half favorite for for UCF. I thought it'd be like a touchdown. Because I don't know what to expect from the Boise State team. They they play. It's hard to know. It's it's similar to no different than you beat up on like UNLV beat beat uh, Bryant H H FCS or HBCU team. Where okay, you beat them by thirty points, but what do we know about you? There's a lot hard to take away besides just be better everywhere against UCF. And UCF same thing. They beat Kent State really bad. I said, I think I think it's zero two for Boise State. Well, if the advanced numbers are any indication, that's the way it's trending at least. Uh, SP Plus likes UCF by fifteen point five, eighty one percent win probability. Brian Fremo, his FEI metric likes the Knights by seven point eight. What's your score? What do you think then? What do you, what's your uh, lean? I think it's gonna be close. What's the line on this one? It's three and a half in favor of the of UCF. Over under is just a high sixty. It's a big one. UCF is not as good as they looked against Kent, Kent State last week. Boise State is not as bad as they looked last week against Washington. Fair point. Yes, agree. That being said, I'm a little <laughs> bit discouraged by what I saw on defense last week. So I do like UCF to win and cover. I think it's going to be close. I think it's probably going to be more of a defensive battle than anyone expects. I think the Knights are going to win 24-21. to 21. I think it'll be more than that. I I'm, I think 60 is a lot. What, what are they based that on? Because of what potential Boise could be in UCF scoring 40-something, whatever they did versus Kent State. Good question. I'm I'm gonna go thirty to twenty three UCF. All right. So just under. All right. Got some FCS teams. We'll blast through these. Idaho at Nevada. Um, are we sure we want to blast through this one? Not this one. Sorry. Idaho. Are they still a top ten FCS team? Uh, they 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 beat up Lamar pretty good last yeah, week. It's Lamar. Forty two to seventeen. Lamar is nothing. Um, they are currently number twelve. Number seven. Oh wait. No. No. No, there's a week one poll. They're 12 now. They were seven. Wait, yeah. Yeah, they're 12 in the coaches poll. I must be looking at a, at a different ranking then. I'm looking at the game notes, and it says they're number seven. For what poll, though? That's an excellent question. It does not say. <laughs> Good call. I'm on NCAA.com, so I'll trust that. Um, oh, okay. Well, hold on. Rankings, stats, AP, coach. So, oh, they're, coaches uh, poll, they're 13. They're looking the stats. AP, perf- they're seven. The stats perform FCS top 25 poll. So whatever that is, that's where they're yeah. seven on here. So they're they're a good team, top twelve. They're a good FCS team. They're above U I UIW, Incarnate Word, Sac State, 
Um, mm-hmm. They're they're right there. They're a good team. Like New Hampshire's good. Weber State's good. They're right up there with those teams. So it's not going to be an easy win because Nevada, like they're not a good football team. And again, it's hard to tell. Like I, I this, give this is a legitimate upset alert. It is. I think in the uh, split zone duo upset draft, I think I picked this one. Sorry, Brandon and other Wolfpack people. <laughs> I think it was a ten pointer. I believe if people are familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Uh it's hard to tell because it's like these other games. You get their butt kicked. They were provided zero resistance against USC. Again, it's USC. They're really good. 66 to 14 loss. It's I don't know what to say. They split quarterbacks with Brandon Lewis and AJ Bianco. Bianco well, Bianco played late, but he put up almost as many yards in four four completions. So there's and a touchdown. So there's that to be a to look forward to. There's not much to say. Like, look at the USC box score and watch the game. You see Caleb Williams running around there doing his thing. I thought Nevada might score a few more points, but they booked in 7-7 seven and seven in this game. Couldn't run the ball. A little surprising because USC's front sevens, and that's, they're okay. They got a couple guys. They have Solomon Bird from Wyoming and a couple guys in transfers. But I figured they could do a little bit. I do like Jamal Bell, so that's a good thing. He had a huge 77-yarder. The passing game, we joke, there's a potential there, I think. 18-29 for uh, Brendan, Brendan Lewis from Colorado. So there there is some potential in that aspect for him to have to be have this offense to be to show show us something to not be as abysmal based on particularly particularly Matt, the quarterback situation from last year, which is a complete disaster. So that's a positive. I want to see if they can throw the ball a bit more. But I do want to see if it's Sean Dollars or Ashton Hayes or somebody run the ball a little bit more efficient against an Idaho team, which will provide some resistance, should be not a walkover game by any stretch, but they should have success, I think, offensively. Yeah, I mean, it may not matter, though, if they can't make stops on defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair. And and that is the one thing that Idaho does especially well. You know, between Giovanni McCoy, a quarterback, who got his season off to a pretty strong start, 14 of 19 last week, 164 yards, mm-hmm. two touchdowns before giving away. Actually, three different players, interestingly, had a touchdown pass mm-hmm. for Idaho last week. That's good. But you know they were about as explosive as you would expect. Their leading rusher, Anthony Woods, had 138 yards on just 13 carries. And that was after being like an all a freshman All-American last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hayden Hatton, seven catches, 91 yards, two touchdowns. Like, do you do you trust? anybody in this Nevada secondary to, to, to be able to hang with him for 60 minutes? You would hope Maybe so. Maybe Isaiah Asisimov? You'd hope so, but I don't know. I mean, that's really what it's going to come down to. But they just they also just need to find more answers up front. Like you mentioned, they didn't offer any resistance at all to you know USC. I think as a team, though, if you're, if you're looking for a potential silver lining, Pro Football Focus did note that Nevada ended week one with 10 total quarterback hurries. So even if they weren't able to get hands on Caleb Williams all the time, you know, that's getting common for a lot of opponents probably this year. You know, the, the, the fact there was that, that one play where he was running around for like 10 seconds before like throwing for a touchdown, but that's because he was flushed off of his spot to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that if you're in a Wolfpack fan, that's what you're really hanging your hat on is the guys up front. Guys like Dion Washington, you know, Aiken, uh, in Yakenyi, other guys who saw a good amount of playing time last week on the defensive line, can step up and, and continue to do that same kind of thing and to, to maybe 
miss fewer tackles overall. You know, that's something else that really crept up a lot last week. They had 19 missed tackles as a team. That's a lot. Clean that up against Idaho, and, and I think you've definitely got a chance. It's just a, you know, considering I don't feel great about their offense, they didn't necessarily look good against a very beatable USC defense last week. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. This is the danger zone. It is at four Pacific on Mountainous Network. Nine bucks tickets. You want to go to um, to Mackey Stadium? Um, a steal at any price. Are you are you taking the upset here? Is that what I'm hearing? Are you doing SP it? Plus likes Idaho by thirteen point three. What? No way. Seventy eight percent win probability. I kid you not. I need to text Bill calling me right now and say we're recording. What are you thinking? And like, what 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 are your numbers thinking? What? There's no way Idaho's winning by double digits. There's no way Idaho's winning okay, this so game. Do you, do you know the Sagarin rankings? I'm familiar. Jeff Sagarin, yeah. What does he say? Do you know that Idaho had a better Sagarin ranking right now than Nevada? Probably. <laughs> they do. They are 123rd, and Nevada is 127. <laughs> hey, at least Nevada's not behind uh, outside of 133 for the FBS teams, but there's probably a dozen FCS teams up there. Um, I'm still thinking Nevada I think to win. Could, I think it could get gnarly, man. Well, keep an eye on this game. This this game does not deserve your full screen television unless you're a Wolfpack alumni or something and you're not at the game and you live far away to watch this. But for other games going on at the same time slot in Mountain West, UCF Boise, we'll get to UCLA, San Diego State, Air Force, and Houston are all in that same time slot. Keep Just keep the box score open and then pop open the Mountain West app to watch it if it gets frisky because this could be a game. Just keep your eye on it. I'm just saying it's like you're correct on this, Matt. It could be – an upset alert to watch. But I'm still going Nevada to win 28-24. Idaho 30, Nevada 21. What? Oh, I hate to do it. This is the, this this is kind of what I was worried about with Nevada coming into the year. What was I? Honestly. Mm. Next game, fine. We'll move on. On Big Boy CBS. 4:30 local time again. Aztecs home of CBS Sports, obviously. Hosting the UCLA Bruins, 14.5-point favorite for the Bruins seems uh, – that seems like a lot, Matt. Am I correct on that? They looked pretty good against Coastal Carolina last week. Coastal has – do you know who Coastal's coach is? Can you tell me who Coastal Carolina's coach is right now? Oh, man. Who did they replace? Uh, it's not Chatwell. replace Chadwell with? Uh, it's a Big Ten dude. If that, if that t- oh. tells you anything. I'm thinking of the guy that hired a Charlotte, Biff Pogi, just because I've been seeing him a lot at social media. Sorry, not necessarily Big Ten, a little bit of Big Ten. Tim Beck. That's right. NC State, more most recently OC coach. Texas OC, and he got demoted to QB coach. He was at Ohio State for a couple years. Nebraska, 2008-2014 Nebraska era, so I don't know how great that was. Kansas, um... So them beating the Bruins or the Bruins beating them, eh? That's okay. That's fine. I mean, they're starting over in a lot of respects, but I they still they still, still have Grayson McCall for right for shutting down Grayson McCall. Yeah, yeah, but Tim Beck's not run into Chadwell's scheme. Even so, I think UCLA is a pretty legit team. Oh, I'm not denying that, but I don't want people to think, oh, they beat this coastal team that was great a couple years ago. They're doing awesome things. They're poking around that and. 
we're trying to win a Sun Belt and maybe a New Year's Six team. They're just an okay team this year. I mean, I think that the challenge for San Diego State is is continuing to avoid like the backbreaking turnovers that you know betrayed them. No, maybe not every week down the stretch last year after they made Jalen Maiden the quarterback, but that was one of those things that really snake bit them in the second half of last year. You know, they ended up minus five on the season, and a lot of that had to do with you know basically you know. Uh, like late in the year, they ended up losing the turnover battle more than they won it. Yeah. But that hasn't really been the case for them this year. I think there's actually still zero giveaways on the season while being plus six overall in terms of, excuse me, no, they're, they're, they've, uh, sorry, I had a brain fart. I was looking at the wrong column. Mm -hmm. So they have given the ball over four times, but they've also taken it away six times. Well, yeah, <laughs> and what what gate we're in what game number three now for them since they had the opener? You know what they really need to do? Find a quarterback. <laughs> no, because that actually hasn't been the problem. Maiden has actually been very good about taking care of the football so far. Oh yeah, that part. only one interception. But they had those. No you know, zero. Had those no, he has zero. Fumbles. No, no, no. They, they, well, he has I, zero. Who was it that threw the interception? Uh, Odell, Torben Odell. Oh, that's right. I'm I'm kidding. That's my go-to joke. It's literally the rushing offense needs to be better. That's why because say. you know they have flashed adequacy. Like you know Jalen Armstead has looked pretty solid in the early going this year, but he had that you know one weird fumble last week against Idaho State, mm -hmm. and you know, against a defense like UCLA's, they really can't afford to to give away those kinds of opportunities because you know Jarius Muisso is still around. He was the team's leading tackler last week. Um, you know, they have a potential first round defensive lineman in Laiatu Watu, uh, who, by the way, had three sacks last week against Coastal Carolina. Yeah. You know, UCLA's got some dudes in their front seven who could just, who could pretty easily bottle up San Diego State's deep offense if they're not careful. Maiden has looked pretty good so far, and he's gotten some nice performances. You know, Mark Redman was a standout in week zero. You know, last week, Armstead, despite the fumble, was, was pretty good overall. But you know, just being able to put a zero in the giveaway column, I think more than anything, is what's going to allow them to hang around in this game, even if the offense isn't firing on all cylinders. I don't think it needs to because UCLA starting a freshman quarterback in Dante Moore. Does you would think Mannix is he officially the starter? Because on the depth chart, uh... he's still listed with an or with both Ethan Garbers and Colin Schley. Uh... And it was Garbers who actually started last week against yeah, Coastal Carolina. Good point. I hmm. maybe what I'm reading, they don't have the proper information because they mentioned him there. Um, how I don't have, sorry, I mean I don't have the box score from last week. What? How much did he play last week? How much did the uh, freshman? I mean, he play? played a fair amount. He was yeah. seven of twelve for 143 yards and two touchdowns. He looked mm -hmm. good. Okay, well, I didn't check the depth charts. I was looking, I was reading something like a position breakdown. Like, oh, this will be a good note to have. Um, one experience, one not experience. And typically his offense, it's finally figuring things out. He's not the innovator because everybody copied him from Oregon a decade or so ago. But I do think if they rotate quarterbacks, that's a plus for the San Diego State defense, I think, right? Because the guy the guy can't get a rhythm if that's the case. I don't know how much more will play. If they split like last week, I would think if you're playing a good team like San Diego State, you want to stick with your one quarterback. Because then playing yeah, I mean, Coastal was – it worked. And Coastal's – again, I'm kind of half kidding, but they're – a solid team, but Essex is way better than Coastal on defense. 
I mean, that assumes that UCLA doesn't have other guys that could do some damage, and that's just not true, though. The running backs are perfectly fine and very well. The running backs were very explosive last week, both TJ Harden and Carson Steele, Mm -hmm. the Ball State transfer. Yeah. Both had exactly 76 yards. Both had at least one big explosive run that accounted for a a good chunk of that. And that's to say nothing of the fact that no matter who's under center, they're going to have you know, guys that they feel good about being able to throw mm-hmm. the ball to, like Kyle Ford had a couple of receptions, the USC transfer. Jay Michael Sturdivant had a big game last week, 10 targets, five catches, 136 yards, and a score. So yeah, The offense overall favors the Bruins. That's not a question. Yeah, I mean, the, the difficulty level goes up this week mm-hmm. for the Aztecs defense. And while I do think that they have shown – I, I thought they would be good and they have they – have, done what is expected of them mm-hmm. to this point against a, a very boomer bust FCS offense and a, an Ohio offense that was, you know, looked like it might be a threat until they had to turn to their backup quarterback. But the Aztecs have handled business. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be a lot harder to maintain that, that early level of excellence that they've displayed against a Bruins offense that has a lot of weapons on hand. I will say this. The two touchdowns seems like a lot because I think Aztecs defense is good enough to slow people down despite because Ohio, 13 points, 28 versus Idaho State. I don't know what they're thinking that Bruins are coming in and just wipe the floor with a two-touchdown win in this game. I just don't think that's that's in the cards at all. Because remember, didn't um, I'm trying to look at the history and these two teams played. San Diego State has beaten UCLA before. They've beaten them at the Rose Bowl before. They're currently on a, let me see here. Actually, the last time, yeah, they played 2019 at the Rose Bowl, Aztecs won. Besides that, they haven't played since like 2009 and nothing consistently since like the late 80s and 90s, besides the stint in early 2000s. So they could beat this team in the road, but that was Chip Kelly's second year, maybe 2019. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. So there's that to consider. It's back at home. So hopefully fans show up and pack the stadium out as much as they can because I know parking's like 50 bucks, which is stupid. Um, I I think UCLA's offense will be too much. Even I think I think their saving grace what what really needs to happen if they're going to win is whoever's a quarterback if they rotate I think that favors San Diego State because the guy can't if the guy doesn't get rhythm and it's just hard going back and forth. If that's the case, I I do think that favors against teams. I know teams can win doing that like Utah won, UCLA won, other teams can win by playing multiple QBs. On offense, they do have Redmond there making good plays at tight end. He's really good. I think they seem to find a more – it's been a concern the past three years, Matt. The running game hasn't been very good for San Diego State, particularly when we're used to them being one of the t- top non-option running teams in the country. And that hasn't been the case in like four years. And that needs to find some sort of pulse. I think the defense will be okay, but the defense is still not elite. It's what it was. They're not the same team even when they lost in the Mountain West title game Utah State when they won, what, 11, 12 games a couple years ago? There's, there's that team even then was was really good, but still wasn't what we, kind of the statistical talent or numbers they put up on on defense running the ball. That's kind of where they're at. Where they're really good defensively, they looks like they have a tight end. The running game looked a little better, but not really. That's where I think it needs to come down to. So if they got to slow down UCLA's top players on offense, and then. It's the same old story for San Diego State. Run the yeah, ball well, say, they can win. No difference, but just it's not. They're not as good. They're they're not as good as the best parts they used to be the past couple of years. They're still really good, but not elite in certain areas. And when they take a small step back against a team that has more talent, more recruiting, um, better coach, I'll say it. Yeah, and that's a problem. 
I wonder who who in this Aztec secondary is going to have a star turn this week. Because somebody somebody needs to, if they're going to have a chance. And, and there, I I think there are at least a few candidates to be able to do so. Because like Des Malone, for example, through two games is playing like you know one of if not the best cornerback anywhere in the conference already for pass mm-hmm. breakups. Yeah, you know only you know two receptions allowed on twelve targets in in two games. You know if it's not him, maybe it's someone like Noah Tumblin who also has four pass breakups. And if it's not him, then maybe it's someone like Sidarius Barfield, who's been, you know, playing a little bit of everywhere in in the in the defense in the early going. He's allowed only six receptions and 16 targets. One of those guys, I think, is gonna have to have at least one interception. Be able to set the offense up with a short field at some point. Like a very oddly specific scenario, maybe to be sure. <laughs> But you know somebody in that secondary, I think, is going to have to step up and give the offense a leg up for the Aztecs to be able to have a chance in this one. All right. So, what do the advanced numbers say? Okay. So, uh, as you might expect, uh, SP Plus likes UCLA by thirteen point seven, seventy eight percent win probability. Uh, FEI also likes UCLA, not by quite as much though. Only five point two separates them and the Aztecs. Interesting. I think the Bruins are going to win, but I'm, I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. I think the under will take place here because obviously better defense versus UCLA and Aztecs struggle to score. It'll be one of those. Mm, no, I don't know. I, I want to say it's going to be first to probably 24 who wins this game. And I don't know if Aztecs can get to 24 points. I think it'll be, I'll go 24, 24, 18 UCLA. What's the line on this one you said? Uh, 14 and a half. Yeah, I like UCLA in this one. Oh, again. I'm going to say 35 to 14. So I'm the nice one for the Aztecs this week. <laughs> you know, chalk it up, move on. That's fine. Next up, Air Force is traveling to face Sam Houston State. At the home of the Houston Texans at NRG Stadium. <laughs> I don't know how that happened or why that happened. But, yeah. 7 p.m. local time there, Central, on CBS Sports Network. Sam Houston State, Matt, is a brand new um, FBS team. They moved up from the Southland. They're now going to Big Boy Football and Conference USA. Or bigger football, I should say. That's right. Uh, so I saw this team play BYU last week. Nearly got the upset 14-0. to uh, we should have mentioned really quick, Air Force is favored by 13.5. Over-under is only 37.5 points, which is very, very low. That's like an Iowa. Really? Yeah, that's an Iowa number there. <laughs> You're very surprised by that. <laughs> I find that very hard to believe. Did, 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 did people not watch Air Force last week? Well, I think they watched BYU, same Houston State, 14-0. Well, that might be part of it, too. Cause same- so, 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 like, is BYU actually any good this year? Um, or is that or is that to be determined? Well, let's just say they're over under five wins. I took the under extremely well a lot of times. <laughs> Keenan Slovis had his first career rushing touchdown in this game last week, and he had two of them. <laughs> I will say this: watching that game, their rush defense looked good. Aiden Robbins, former UNLV running back, is now at BYU. Didn't look good. They put in a freshman. This guy, four-star guy, played pretty well in the second half for Sam Houston State. 
So there's it's hard to tell a little bit just because first half running game didn't do anything. Second half they got did they did get run on when they played BYU. I think the guy had like um trying to pull up numbers here, but he he has more effect. I think he had ninety something for the game in one big run. And their, right. their offense was abysmal. Like, their offense couldn't – same State speaking of. Yeah, L.J. Martin came in, had 91 yards, basically all in the second half. So there is that concern for the same Houston State side where, okay, they're facing an offense never seen before. They did well in the first half running the ball defensively. Second half, they did not. Uh, their quarterback, three interceptions. One was the end of the game. And one technically probably – it was a terrible pass, but it couldn't be reviewed, Matt, because the camera didn't get the bottom of the field on Fox. <laughs> They couldn't see mm-hmm. if the guy got his hand underneath. So quarterback play wasn't very good. They only had 38 rushing yards on the game. And I'm going to say Air Force defense is better than BYU defense, I will say, despite BYU pitching the shutout. Um, so that could be a reason why it's that low because I think Air Force legitimately could win by multiple touchdowns and it still hit the under. Is Sam Houston still a team that runs like the, the option-based ground game? No, they threw the ball 33 times. I was going to say, I wondered if that was a function of their inability to run the football, because even after adjusting for sacks, they still only averaged 2.2 yeah. yards per game, <laughs> or yards per play on B- the ground. BYU's defense, I don't know how many Mountain West teams they play this year. Actually, I don't know if they play any. But new coordinator, Jay Hill, came in and revamped a lot defensively, and they were really bad last year. And so, But also, Sammy should say, one thing to note during the broadcast I was watching last week, they redshirted a lot of guys in preparation for this FBS year. Yeah. The scholarship-wise, like, okay, you're going to sit out just so we have more experienced players. They can sign more. They can bring up a scholarship count. It takes a minute, obviously. But it didn't show in BYU. I don't think they're that good. They only score 14 points. San Diego State's defense, not great. BYU ran a weirdest fake putt in the end of the end of like that Boise State a couple years ago that was disastrous. But San Diego State couldn't move the ball. They only had three TFLs. They couldn't get to the quarterback. So, San Diego State's not very good. I, Their defense, obviously, giving them only 14 points is good, but their second-half defense wasn't all that great because the first drive, they went down defensively, couldn't do anything against BYU. They were scored upon. But Air Force's offense is much more explosive than BYU. Like, they only threw for 140 yards. Air Force could do that on, like, six pass attempts, right? <laughs> they could probably do it on, on two or three yeah, if just, it really comes down to yeah, it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, they can get that production. San Diego State, just defensively, they looked really good. So that's one thing that needs to look to be looked out looked upon. They yeah, but they weren't they weren't terribly disruptive though. No, they and were that, not. I think no. is what's going to make the difference because you know they only had three TFLs last week against BYU, mm-hmm. and that could be a problem against an Air Force team that seems to have settled this quarterback situation. You know, yeah. Last week, you know, is is Zach Larry and Jensen Jones tied with an or? Mm-hmm. Not this week though. It's Larrier, and he looked good throwing the ball and you know operating the offense. He looked like he gave a jolt of speed to you know an attack that has been defined in, in large part by the fullback position over the last couple of years. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out, but I'm just not totally sold that Sam Houston said, you know, despite the fact they do have some talent in their in their front seven that could you know potentially cause some waves, like Trevor Williams, their leading tackle from last week, 13 tackles, did have one TFL. But at the same time, I just, you know, given what I saw from last week, last week from Air Force against Robert Morris, which is exactly what I expected to mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Just, you know, running the ball, no frills, just punch him in the mouth over and over again. Now that everything seems to be settled as far as what their major questions were coming into the season, 
if I'm an Air Force fan, I just want to see it again. I want to see five yards of carry. I want to see them like dropping 30, 40 points on the Sam Houston State defense. Okay, I'm curious about this because I didn't look too much into this game. Why did John Lee Eldridge have four carries only last week? Probably because they didn't need him all that much. Oh, sorry, had 72 yards. I'm just wondering. Yeah, like... I mean, I, I posted the joke about whether how many over under of 12 <laughs> different Air Force players would uh, get at least one carry last week. By the way, I believe it was 15 or the 16 over players yeah. altogether. <laughs> so, so next time when I pose the question, just assume that it's going to go over. Um, yeah, they just they just didn't need him. You know, you know, by the time he was ripping off the sixty-five yard run, that I think was his last carry in the third quarter. I would, um, which was which was capped off by a personal foul as well. Mm, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was just more a matter of they didn't necessarily need to put a lot of wear and tear on him, and because Larrier was doing a lot of the heavy lifting himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he actually led the team with fourteen carries last year. Couple week. touchdowns, yeah. I, I think like Saint Mason State defensively they did a fight against a pretty good like an okay BYU team like the only thing I could see where it could get out of hand that second after I don't know if the defense just got tired or if the backup BYU put in was better than the starter and who knows that could have been the situation I'm betting it's probably some of both where they got worn down you're not used to playing this type of team because your scholarship count still limited relatively speaking to an FBS team moving up but Jamie State like they have a, a legit coach winning national titles remember they won the spring 2021 FCS title they were ineligible last year because of moving transition, moving up for the playoffs. So they're not a nobody team. Like I, who, who knows if they'll pull a James Madison and Conference USA and do really well after this this non conference slate of BYU, Air Force. They also go, go to Houston. Like they play some tough non conference games. That's a pretty formidable slate for any team in the country to play those three schools. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think they'll have enough. But if with never seeing type of offense prepare for it on a week. They do get they do drive the ninety miles or so not coming on the road game, but I'm wondering how many people show up at this game on the stadium and the Texans, it's a weird spot, but I think Air Force wins and wins big. So the numbers are maybe a little more muted than you would expect. Um SP plus likes Air Force by 14.5, 80% win probability. FEI likes the Falcons by 23.9. Well, okay. <laughs> and what did you say the number was? Uh, 13 and a half. Wow. Okay, that seems like that seems like stealing. I know, uh, right? Give, give me the Falcons. Give yeah. me the Falcons. <laughs> give me whatever the over is. I'm going to say 42 to 14. Whoa! 42-14. Uh, give me the fireworks thing on here. Woo! <laughs> uh, I'm not... Mm, you know what? I'm going to go... Hmm... Debating on this calling calling for the shutout here. Get shut out back to back weeks. That's a pretty brutal way to start FBS football, right? <laughs> I'm gonna go thirty eight ten Air Force. Okay. That does take the over by no, that's ten points over. Never mind. We're we're good on there. All right, next game. We're gonna blast through these because we got all FCS teams coming up. Texas Tech at New Mexico, six PM local time at Albuquerque University Stadium. Um all the rest of these games are on Mountainless Network. I think the Hawaii game, are they still doing the team? Well, we'll talk about that later. Tennessee, Tennessee Tech versus New Mexico. Um, are you still riding the Dylan Hopkins train for New Mexico after the, despite getting them the blow up versus uh, Texas A&M? Yeah, I mean, I thought New Mexico, you know, they, they didn't win, they didn't cover, but it wasn't like they looked bullied. 
Wait, Steve so Dazio did both. That, I don't know that. That, you, that you can necessarily make a lot of sweeping proclamations about their performance from last week. But yeah, I mean, I'm still a believer in, in Hopkins and what that offense could look like. Hmm. I think what I want to see is, you know, I want to see them take advantage of, of a Tennessee Tech team that, you know, has some talent on both sides of the ball, but was very mistake prone last week against a, a very good Furman team. Mm-hmm. You know, they lost their opener 45 to 10 on the road. But a lot of that had to do with the fact that they had six turnovers in that game, which led to 28 points. Like if, if I'm New Mexico, they you know, I would look I would look at an offensive performance like that and I would think to myself, okay, why can't we do why that? not us, right? Why not us? <laughs> yeah, because you know they had some nice performances last week. Like, you know, nobody necessarily like set the world on fire. But it, you know, the the defense was, you know, fine. I think all things considered, like they only gave up, or I, well, I, I say only <laughs> six and a half yards per play. Careful. But I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they gave up a lot more than I expected through the air, mm-hmm. which I don't think is likely to be the case in this one. Like, you know, uh, whoever, whoever Tennessee Tech is starting at, at quarterback, uh, Ethan Roberts was, uh, yeah, he was fine last week, 25 of 38, 240 yards. Had a touchdown, but also had a couple turnovers. He's not Connor Weedman. No. In that Texas AM offense. Let's put it that way. Yeah. That's what I want to see. We want to see what this New Mexico team could do. Because this is Danny Gonzalez. He's firmly in the hot seat after having two new coordinators come to town with uh with the hires from within and losing um Rocky Long to Syracuse. I just yeah, want to see I don't know if I believe in that, but continue. What do you, are you? Well, I'm just saying. Typically, when that happens, there's a reason. You're, I'm not saying you get fired, but I'm just saying there's cause for concern. With, well, I guess with Rocky Long leaving, that's a bit different story. But basically, there's a little bit of pressure there. Like he's got to win a few more games. This is the game he, they have. They have to win this game. There's nothing about they have to win this game. They cannot lose oh, yeah. to Tennessee yeah. Tech. If they lose, then he's psh, maybe get rid of him out. Now they're not going to do it after week two, but. There's there's something here if they don't get this done and show something because they bring in a good quarterback for UAB, the guy who was the interim coach of a good Blazers program to come in to run the offense. And I'm not going to judge them too harshly at all versus Texas A&M because you can't. Texas A&M is an SEC team, have a great recruiting class all the time. They're currently in the top 25 at the tail end. But I want to see when they play an opponent where they're clearly going to outmatch Tennessee Tech who only scored a touchdown on a pick six against Furman. They only had three offensive points last week. So they need to have an explosive game from D.J. Washington, from Dorian Lewis, Sherrod Wright, um, Dylan Hopkins on offense. And defensively, you mentioned the six turnovers. Like, they need to go in and see what Tavian Combs can do. See, he had – he's safety had freaking 11 tackles last week. That's not what you want from your secondary. I want him to have multiple pass breakups, interception. They need to have these players out there to come in and just dominate this game and win like by three touchdowns at least. I think if, if you're New Mexico, you're encouraged by the fact that pro football focus tallied 16 quarterback hurries last week, mm-hmm. it, it, including, you know, the, the, some of the newer guys who were, who were stepping up at linebacker in particular, like Dimitri Johnson, for example, him and say Riley had three quarterback hurries apiece. You know, Riley was the one who actually came through and had a sack to go along with it. But you know, those are the kinds of things where you squint, and that's where you're looking for a turnaround or maybe just you know continued development into to greater results. 
against you know the the Golden Eagles. So, what's your score prediction? So, uh, SP Plus does like New Mexico by fifteen, eighty-one percent win probability. They should be able to take care of business. I, is there a line for this game? I don't think there nope. is. Is there? Nope. Yeah, that didn't surprise me. <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say thirty-one to ten. New Mexico wins. I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'll go thirty-four-three. All right. Next game, wrap through these. Idaho State at Utah State. Utah State did not look bad versus Iowa, despite being down fourteen to zero early on. So there's that um, in obvious um, goodness to see from Cooper Lagaw and everybody out there that they did pretty well. Uh, this game is obviously up at Logan Mountain West Network, six local time. Uh, no line playing the Bengals of Idaho State. Um, this is. Utah State, I'm still wor- worried or concerned about from last year, like they had a kind of a Jekyll and Hyde type season. But when you look at what Cooper Lagarde did last week with Iowa, he 200, oh, just over 200 yards, not the great average per play. The running game, they showed promise with, um, what's his name, Rashul Falson having uh, 59 yards when they could run the ball. Even even Devon Booth had 53 on like, like four yards of carry. They ran the ball when they could. They ran it pretty well. Terrell Vaughn, the legit receiver, obviously 12 catches who we knew will be really, really good. I think I want to see a lot more Lagat to Vaughn in this game and get the offense opened up a bit more because they only scored 14 points versus Iowa, but that defense is really good. So I, I, I do think there's this could be one of the better passing attacks, like the Lagat to Vaughn situation could be really good, and so that's why I want to see a lot more in this game. And find a running back who might be a touch. Get a They ran three guys, including Lagat, evenly. Let's see who the number one running back will be as well. Because Robert Briggs, a transfer, only had two attempts. I mean, the, the one thing you could say about Utah State's performance last week, which I think is could definitely pay dividends this weekend moving forward, is the fact that their you know injuries forced their hand and, and forced them to turn mm-hmm. to guys who weren't necessarily expected to get a lot of playing time. You know, you look at like uh, Max Alford, who last I checked, his status for the season is still up in the air, but you know him getting knocked out of the game was potentially a very significant blow if not for for Gavin Barthiel and Bronson Olaval Jr. behind him. Yeah. You know, both of those guys stepped up and had pretty nice games against Iowa. Same with other guys on the defense in particular, Jaden Francois, uh, Simeon Harris. So if if I'm a Utah State fan, that's really what I'm looking towards is just, you know, consi- you know continued defensive improvement. Because, you know, they got some nice performances from Ike Larson. He had the turnover last week. MJ Tafisi had double-digit tackles. Anthony Switzer coming back from an injury that wiped out his 2022. He showed out and played well. So, like, the making is a pretty good defenser there. They need to step up and, and do, at a minimum, what San Diego State was able to do last week against this very same Bengals offense, which has forced them to be erratic at a mm-hmm. minimum. Yeah. Like if they if they land on a few big plays, that's no big deal. But you just go out and don't struggle in this game, especially on defense. Yeah, they think go out and take care of business, beat this T- Idaho State team, and just move on and be one and one, and prepare for what's up next. Because I guess when we saw them play last week I, for San Diego State, they did put up twenty six points, so or twenty eight points. So there is that to consider. Mm-hmm. But their quarterback played Jordan Cook. Like they didn't play well. They didn't do anything well. I don't know. Honestly, like the way they're running the passing game went, I don't know how they scored all these points last week for for San Diego State. 
Like, if you're just looking at the box score, like, wait, they had all these turnovers, they had this, and they still came within a touchdown and a two point conversion to win the game, to tie the game. So, so, you know how we were talking about win expectancy earlier with regards to Wyoming? Yeah. They have that. San Diego State actually had a 97.7% win expectancy last week. That's weird. It's sort of fluky that it was as close as it was. That's, that's not weird, 97%, but weird, like, it was, yeah. They, Utah State should win, and they're going to win. Psh, Thirty-four to thirteen. SP plus liked by the way likes Utah State by twenty-three point eight, ninety-two percent win probability. But yeah, I think they should win pretty handily. I'm going to say thirty-eight to fourteen. Next game: Eastern Washington versus uh, Fresno State. Who heck yeah beat up on Purdue last week? I loved it. Good game to watch. Back and forth. They beat up on Hudson Cards. Coach Brom there. They now host um, Eastern Washington. It's a six Pacific on the Mountainous Network. And Eastern Washington, they're no fluke of a team. They not what they were recently, past couple of years, but they're still really good. But they are zero one, lose to North Dakota State, who's a good FCS team, thirty five ten last week. Uh, do they still run? I know we did the FCS minute a long time ago, but they still run that. They want to throw the ball, correct? That they still want to do. They threw it thirty nine times. I'm guessing that's a yes. Yeah, I mean they just aren't. They good at maybe it. <laughs> aren't quite the same caliber of team that we're accustomed to seeing. No upset or anything, so. Yeah, because you know, their, their quarterback, Akola Visperas, last week against North Dakota State, only 23 of 39, 266 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Like, that's a far cry from you know the kind of performances that they were getting out of guys like Eric Barrier as, as, mm-hmm. as few as, like, two seasons ago. And and while they do have, you know, some playmakers on both sides of the ball who could definitely do a little bit of damage if the, if the Bulldogs are tempted to sleepwalk in this one, you know, like Efton Chisholm third, for example, had eight catches for 80 yards last week. Like, he's a very reliable receiver. Brock Harrison had a sack. He was He's an Eastern Washington defensive captain. So, like, they have some individual players, but, like, this is – I don't think this is a game that should be close. No, definitely shouldn't be. You know, Fresno State doesn't have any any lingering injury concerns that I'm aware of off the top of my head. Uh, I know Mikey Keene got banged up last week in the win over Purdue, but it seems like the kind of situation where – if the Bulldogs come out firing in the same way that they did last week against the Boilermakers, maybe Keen gets a little bit of rest at some point in the late third or early fourth quarter. Yes, and one thing that's also good last week when they play, when they're up against um, Purdue on the road, getting that nice victory, because look at who they lost the past couple of years: Jordan Mims, Ronnie Rivers. I mean, look what they did; they put up thirty nine points, and there we weren't sure like. Who's going to the ball? But Elijah Gilliam had 90, 93 yards. So he's a running back who had the big game. He also had a catch, 14 yards. So we know who the running back is. Eric Brooks, obviously, if you mentioned him, 170 yards, a couple touchdowns. They're really, really good. I just gonna be it's, this should be a dominant performance. And I think right now Fresno is my number one team in the Mountain West. By the way, did we mention that this game is the first FBS game ever with a Spanish-language broadcast? No, that's awesome. That's going to be great. What uh, channel is it locally there in Fresno then? Uh, if it's locally, you're going to be looking on Unimas. Okay, Unimas. Okay. If you're not local, not to fret though, there is going to be an English language broadcast. Of course, you can find that on the Mountain West Network. Are they also showing on like the 
locally in English as well? They're, they're showing both the English and the Spanish broadcasts streaming through the Mountain West Network. Oh, they're doing both that way too? But no, by I mean, checked, yeah. Okay, that's awesome. But are they also, I know some of these games, like you mentioned, and one of the other games was on local TV San Jose State. Is that the case as well for this one? Yeah, Besides, I believe it's Unimas. I believe that's local Univision Station. No, I mean, only Spanish over the. Over the oh, that's what I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, be- I believe so. Okay, so that's what I was getting at. Sorry, I'm like, wait, am I not asking this properly? <laughs> How am I? I'm like, wait, am I, I'm probably saying it not clearly to you. But yeah, if you want to watch Spanish, awesome. Unimas. If you're out of the area, Mountain West Network. So we'll have we have the how to watch guide and TV stuff. We'll make sure all the options are there. I just do recall. Yeah. Is this the is it being broadcast that way because it's a Mountain West Network game? Like how often can they do this type of broadcast? Because I mentioned Utah State has four games on locally, and they're not just the FCS games. Like this week's game, we should mention if you're in Utah's on Channel 14 on KJAZ. Well, I would assume if they can prove there's a market for it, that they can do it more often if, if people tune in. To, so fig- we'll see. to figure something. Okay, yeah. I'm just curious about that because there's – Mountain West seems a bit more lenient on games that are streamed to be broadcast locally. Like UNLV, I think they, they got Michigan, but there's a game with the Silver and Sports Network, I want to say, as well. Mm-hmm. So, All right, so next up here, final game of the weekend. You, Albany, get it correct, at Hawaii – this is has to be the farthest, and we discussed this before, the farthest any team travels for an FBS game or college football game this year. It's closer to go to London than this to Honolulu because they're on the East Coast or in Upper New York. I think, yeah, I, think I, had the ex- I had the exact number for this earlier, and I, I lost it. I apologize. I think it's like it's something like 4,910. I'll find it real quick. But I believe it was like they could go all the way to Germany to be still closer. That flight. sounds about right. So it is 4,940 miles. Okay, I was off by a few. That is ridiculous. It's going to be a midnight local kick for them, I believe, if my time is correct. So that is quick. correct. Okay. It is <laughs> yeah, okay. It's, it's, it's midnight local out here. How do you prepare for that type of game? Like, how do you prep for a midnight game like that, if you're body clockwise? You sleep on the plane. Okay. Um, did you know it's 3,500 miles to go to Paris from Albany? Much um, more east than that, uh, Berlin. Let's find out. I'm curious now. Let's, this is exciting. Moscow? No, not Moscow. Well, let me just type it in. Let's see. Moscow's probably way too far. Istanbul? No, whoa, 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 whoa. 4,500 from Albany to Moscow is closer by a little bit. Interesting. What do we say, 4,590? Hold on. Anyway, what do we want to say about this game? Hold on. I want this again. Hold on. 45. Okay. It's it's still – it's 400 miles closer to go to Moscow than Hawaii. Amazing. So – this, this is why people tune in to the Mountain West Wire Football Podcast. <laughs> hey, I wanted to know this, and this may be a write-up for Friday. Just like, hey, just so you know, this game, the travel-wise, it's, it's bonkers. Like, I, I hope, do players can keep their frequent flyer miles? I always wonder that because NIL stuff, like, oh, it's not your team's paying for it. They better get their miles for this type of game, wherever they're fine, Delta, Hawaii, who knows. Like, it's not direct. I guarantee it's not charging. I guarantee – I'm betting I'd bet good money they're going to stop like in Chicago. They're making two stops on the mainland, right? They have to. Mm-hmm. They're not going Albany to L.A. and then L.A. to Hawaii. But let's get to the game itself. We're done with mileage stock. I just find it fascinating. They're traveling almost 5,000 miles to get paid probably $600,000 and to probably lose by three touchdowns. I think a lot of that is going to depend on whether – Hawaii can put together the kind of defensive performance that Marshall did last week when they survived against this very Satan U Albany team. You think that's the case? 
I mean, Marshall was up, or Marshall was down 17 to 7 in the late third quarter of that game. Yeah, they ended up winning by only four, though. So there's. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that the that the herd defense really stepped up late in that game. Mm -hmm. And what I look at with regards to this matchup is whether or not Hawaii in particular could continue to frustrate Albany's passing game. Because Reese Poppenberger stepped up last year. He emerged as one of the top young quarterbacks anywhere in the FCS level. Mm-hmm. In the season opener, he was more pedestrian than anything. Only 22 of 38, 194 yards. He was leading receiver, you know, only four, uh, 51 yards on five catches and a touchdown. Yeah. And I think if you're Hawaii, like, that's where you have to start in this one. Because it's been, I don't know, would you say that the Hawaii pass rush has been maybe a a, a tiny bit of a letdown so far yeah but look who look at the matchups yeah that's not great teams but teams that are better than them so i'd say a little bit because i mean i guess i guess i'm just sort of stung because i thought they would match up better in stanford than than they ended up i think with stanford going to what troy taylor is doing running the ball or running the offense more efficiently quickly kind of change things what we typically think of Stanford and David Shaw with mm. the traditional fullback. So because Stanford is passing a lot more than they typically have done. Obviously, non-Andrew Luck seasons uh, don't apply here. They threw 36 times. But, Brandon yeah, but I, think, I think the upside is that the run and shoot looks like a great matchup against this Albany defense because you know the other thing that Marshall was able to lean on throughout the game was a fairly consistent passing game that like didn't necessarily light up the stat sheet. But their quarterback, uh, Cam Fancher, was 28 of 35 against this Great Danes defense, 268 yards and a touchdown. Lights out, especially in the second half in that game when they needed him to be. And, you know, for all of the challenges that, that Hawaii has had in getting off to an 0 2 start so far, I don't think you can necessarily say Braden Shager has been one of those problems. No, the running shoots going, going, they seem to run the ball. Like the shoot yeah. part's going great. <laughs> Like, running is an issue. Yeah. Tylen Hines is disappointed so far. Like, nobody expected him to be seven-plus yards per carry, but last week, five for five. Like, that can't be the case. Schrager, I know there are sacks involved, but minus 14, but he did scramble for a bit because he was sacked uh, six times. Can we get the offensive line to do something this week as well? <laughs> like, he was, yeah, 355 yards, no picks, which is great, but still he had 23 in completions. He completed 30 of 53 passes. Mm-hmm. So that needs to change as well. At least um, protection-wise. Like, Imagine if he went 40 of 53. He'd have probably 410 yards. They beat Stanford. Mm-hmm. So this is a cleanup game where they were like they weren't they were not outclassed at all versus Stanford or Vanderbilt. Like the Vanderbilt game, they had to come from behind. They did have that fade interception in the end zone, which wasn't good. Rush defense has been solid. It was really good versus Vanderbilt. It was actually pretty good versus Stanford. You have that one Casey Filkins 47-yard run. I know they all count, but if he doesn't get a big scamper like that, they're under four and a half yards per carry. Like Their rush defense is actually pretty good, so maybe they're not getting disruption of the quarterback map, but they are slowing down running games. So that's the precursor to TFLs and sacks. I guess we'll find out. But I think they'll win. I I think Albany, I think the travel's a, a beast, as we mentioned, but Albany's a decent FCS team. Not great, but they're not terrible. Almost beating Marshall. They beat Fordham. I think is it Fordham? Are, are they a ranked team? Let me see real quick. 
Yeah, I don't know that off the top of my head. Yeah, well, you don't know your top 25 FCF rankings week one? What's wrong with you? No. Yeah, okay, fair. They are... Interestingly, though, SP Plus only favors Hawaii by three. Whoa. I wonder why that's... Only a 57% win probability, but in my opinion, that seems low. Wait, 50... What did you say? What was that number again? It was three. No, no, the other number. The oh, percent. 57% win probability. I think... They'll. I think they're gonna win. Um. I again. Travels crazy. They had a. They played FBS team last week on the road, and Marshall nearly won. They're playing another FBS team, which I think Marshall might be better than Hawaii. But I. I think it's too much. Like that type of tra- unless they left like Wednesday morning, like that's when you gotta leave. Like you gotta leave. You can't. You gotta be there probably Thursday night at the latest, right? Something like that. I would think they would leave Wednesday morning and get there probably. So obviously Wednesday night, I think would be ideal. But mm-hmm. there's no way. Maybe we could check their Twitter feed or whatever you want to call it, Instagram to see how the travel wise. But to adjust and be ready, like you got to leave early to get there. But I think Hawaii wins by two touchdowns. I'm gonna go. I think Albany. Eh, they don't score a ton of points. That's my only thing. I'll go 28-10 Hawaii. I think they're gonna score more than that. I'm gonna say 42 to 17. Whoa. That's a beatdown. I think Braden Shager has a big game in this one. Yeah. What, six touchdowns? Maybe no, well, no, I'm not going to go that far. He's not going to score every touchdown? Okay. I, I think he will, too, but I think yeah, I, they'll, they'll be okay. They'll be fine. They can put up points. Maybe more. I, actually, no, let me change mine because they put up a good amount the last two weeks. I'll go a little bit more. I'll go 30. I'll go uh, – give me 34-13 instead. I'll do that. All right, then. I'll change my pick last second. Wrapped it up. 90 minutes, Matt. 90 minutes. We're back doing the show together after travel. You go in cross country to uh, – real quick, we're wrapping up here. Actually, we'll save it for next time because you probably haven't figured out your viewing situation quite yet for the uh, time difference. That'll be a conversation. Lots and lots of caffeine and lots and lots of DVR. You still got the Hulu Live going on, right? Correct? Oh, yeah. Good. Use that to your advantage. And uh, this week, I'll be honest, like we got a lot of FCS games. Just keep your eye on a couple of those. We got we got a good spread out type of games all day in the morning, uh, late morning, depends where you're at um, in, in the world. But uh, actually, no, all afternoon because I'm Michigan games, the first one at uh, 1230 Pacific. So got your morning free. Do whatever you want to do. Watch these games. And we'll be back. Uh, I think our plan is midday Sunday to get the recap in this week just because we got to figure out a couple of things here and there. But MWR.com has made it this far. Please let us know. We're currently at 1 hour 34 minutes, which is um, – Matt, kind of long, right, for a preview, but we bring you all the info you guys want. So, well, you know, with with twelve games, we gotta we gotta make sure we make every minute count. If we did five minutes a game, that's still an hour. Yeah, <laughs> and we're doing more than five minutes on all the most of these games. So, we'll see you next time again. MWR.com, and um, yeah, check us out on Twitter. MWR will be uh, showing some stuff online, like we typically do throughout the week and on game day, and uh, we'll see you then.